Hey everyone, uh, thanks for hanging out with us on this very unique uh, Mother's Day. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Your mama is glad you're here. Um, if you are a guest to the Hills Church, we encourage you to, uh, um, to fill out the contact form at the bottom of the page there. Um, and you probably should know if you're a guest that, that my facial hair is not always this fashionable, but the, uh, the quarantine, I think, is, uh, is getting to me. And so uh, in, in the quietness and the darkness, things, things happen. But uh, we're, we're glad you're here, um, whether you're long time uh, or this is your, your first time with us. But if you are a guest, if you fill out that contact form, uh, we'll donate $5 to stop human trafficking on your behalf. Um, and each week, we do a check-in question. And sometimes they're a bit more serious. Sometimes they're just to kind of chat a little bit. And in the uh, in honor of Mother's Day, what I'd like you to do in the comments there is, is put something in there that, that was a, a saying that, you, that your mother said, or maybe she still says, like something that, you know, like uh, Forrest Gump, Mama always said, life was like a box, box of chocolates. Bo- box of chocolates, right. Um, so like, you know how, how moms say things like, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. Mm, I doubt it. I doubt it. Or uh, if something's lost and she says, you can't find it, where did you put it last? Like what? How is, how is that helpful? If I knew where I put it last, it, it wouldn't be lost. So put something, uh, something your mom told you growing up or just that, that she was known for. And today we want to to honor the, the ladies in our lives. And you can uh, see behind me, we've created this, this backdrop for photos that uh, when we're finished here, we're going to put it out on the, our front porch right here, 3222 Monaco, or two houses north of MLK. And your family is invited to come anytime today between uh, 11 and 6. And we'll have this, um, this photo booth set up, and it'll, it'll actually be a little bit fuller once it's outside. We've got, it's a three-dimensional. It's really uh, quite, quite well done. Um, but you can you know, bring your family by or you can come by by yourself. Uh, we will have photographers there from, from 1 until uh, 4 o'clock. Uh, other times you can take a selfie. We'll have a selfie stand with uh, disinfectant wipes. Um, and, you, you know, it's an opportunity to wear something other than, than stretchy pants or sweats. I mean, this is, this is the one day, and there's no judgment. Um, if, even if you, you wore your, your stretchy pants, because this, uh, this is only the one day of the week where I actually don't have elastic in, in my pants as well. So, so to come, um, sweatpants or not, grab a picture. We'll also have a, um, just a, a small gift uh, for mothers as, as well. Um, now, holidays like Mother's Day, Father's Day evoke uh, different emotions in us, um, some are good emotions. Well, I wouldn't say any are bad emotions, but uh, some are uh, emotions of, of grief. And, and so uh, it's become a, a tradition of ours at the Hills Church to recognize um, not just mothers, but, but ladies and, and those who have had different experiences with uh, having children or not having children. So I'm going to ask Eloy to come and to read uh, just a, a, brief, a brief poem on Mother's Day. Um, this is called Honoring All Mothers. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches, 
with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. We really need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. And to those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience and pain. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, and might have been overlooked or, sorry, I, for those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those who are single and don't have children or married and don't have children and might have been overlooked or devalued by the church, we apologize to you. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. We cry with you. We want to hug you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. Today, we remember you and we honor you. Thank you, Laura. We do honor our mothers today, and we are in the, the season of Eastertide as a, a global church, and Eastertide is the, the period between Easter and Pentecost. It's seven weeks, 50 days, where each, each of those Sundays is celebrated as uh, Easter. Um, now, when we began this, this teaching series on, on Easter, I pointed out that this, this did not feel like um, Easter. Like we look around globally, and we've had a quarter of a million people who have died because of COVID in our own country. Over 70,000 people have died, not to mention uh, economies are in the tank. Uh, joblessness is, is just through, through the roof, and, and, it's, and it's hard to measure the emotional toll that it takes on all of us. Like it's, it's the unseen uh, pain uh, from all this. And then in this week in the news, uh, we saw the killing of another young black man who was just running 
just out getting exercise, and, and there's been no arrest made. And as, as a white guy, like I, I don't know what, what that's like. I don't know what it's like to be a young black man and, and to, to just go for a run. And, and I just, I just want to say um, to, the, to the black men in our church and in our neighborhood, like, um, if, if whatever myself... And I know there, there's other guys and the other white guys in the church that we we are f- for you. We will speak up. Uh, we will do what, whatever you require of us because we we love you and we are broken for you. Um, the, in, in my own family, this this week on a different subject, like we we got bad news from the doctor on Monday. Myself. My sister and my parents uh, were on a conference call with my mom's doctor. And my mom's, man, she's been incredibly strong for over three years. She's been battling stage four cancer and, um, and been on chemo. And it's just taken its, its toll on her body. And now that the doctor says that the chemo um, is not effective anymore, and even if it was, like her, her body is, is not responding well to it. And, um, and so his recommendation for our family was that uh, my mom consider going on hospice care and that her time is, is short. Um, and this, unless there's a miracle, like this could possibly be the last Mother's Day with my mother. Um, and uh, one thing I love about the Hills Church is that we don't try to masquerade when, when things are, are broken inside of us, like we think that, that God is with us in that, and we don't have to put on just the, the Christian happy face. Um, and so we are in periods of, of brokenness, and um, so while it doesn't feel like Easter, like all these things that are happening are just a continual reminder to me of why we needed Easter in the first place, that in our darkness, that God reaches down to us, He comes in, into our mess. He comes into our, our brokenness. And, and even in the face of death, I know that Jesus has conquered the kingdom of death and has inaugurated his kingdom of life. These aren't just empty words that we talk about on site. Like this has real, in the moment, um, like life-changing influence in our lives and the way that we, we view life. And, and so we've been talking about the resurrection through this uh, Easter season, and we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 15. It's, it's part of a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a very um, diverse church on the Mediterranean Sea, one of the most prominent uh, cities in Greece during the, the New Testament uh, times. Um, and their diversity led to some problems in the church. And so Paul writes this letter and he spends uh, quite a bit of time addressing the resurrection because some of them weren't uh, quite sure if they wanted to, to buy into this idea of, of some guy named Jesus rising in the middle of history. Um, and so uh, he, writes first, he writes this letter. And so we're picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 says, now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? I just pause right there and say we could spend an entire Sunday unpacking that verse. Um, some of the commentaries I read said this is the, the most um, difficult 
or one of the most difficult verses in all of the New Testament to, to translate. And so I'm going to do uh, what any good pastor would do. I'm just going to skip it and we will uh, come back to it another day because there's other things in this passage that I think are more important and more, um, more germane to our, our current situation. Uh, but if, if you have questions about these verses, uh, we, we can chat about them for sure. Uh, verse 30, and as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. Now, if, if you've been around Christians or church very long, you know that um, the Christians like to, to ask very deep, probing, invasive questions, questions that, that come into your mental, personal space. Uh, if such a thing exists. And, and sometimes these questions, you know, take the form of uh, what we call accountability questions. And in fact, for at least the last 18 years, I have carried in my wallet a small card that had a series of questions. Uh, some guys, when I was in my early 20s, we had this uh, accountability group with ourselves. And, and so some of the questions were like, have you spent time in the Bible and in prayer this week? Uh, one of the questions on the card says, have you had any flirtatious or lustful attitudes, tempting thoughts, or expose yourself to any explicit materials which would not glorify God. You know, just coffee table talk. Um, have you told any half-truths or outright lies, putting yourself in a better light to those around you? Have you allowed any person or circumstance to rob you of your joy? And so there, there was 10 questions, and the last question was my favorite. It said, have you lied to us in any of the previous answers to the questions? Like, let's come around, let's give me that last 3%. And so um, just these questions that are all up in your business, right? Making you uncomfortable, squirm, it can be stressful. And, you know, what are you struggling with? What are you hoping God will do in and through your life? And, and while these questions can be stressful, I think there's also some power in these questions. These, these questions make us um, stop and consider that God is concerned about our everyday lives. God, he's concerned. He has a plan for your life. And the, and the people who ask those questions, ask them because they also are concerned for you. Um, and I think all these questions boil down to one question. And that question is, what is your life about? What is your life about? What, like, what is the basis of your life? What is, what's the goal of it? What's the, the governing ethic of your life? Like, what is your life about? I mean, do, do you know? I mean, and this can be a, a difficult question to answer for, for many reasons. And, and maybe you're like, I'm glad I'm not there in person so Matthew can't see me squirming or shrugging it off. Uh, maybe it's a question you haven't considered recently. Uh, maybe it's a, a question that's not comfortable for you because you know what your life is about and, and you're not too happy about what it has been about. Um, what should our lives be about? And, and in this passage... Paul is getting to the, the answer to this question. 
And there's many ways that you could answer, like, what is my life about? But here's the, the Christian answer, is that our lives are about the resurrected Christ. Our lives are about the resurrected Christ. And if I had to unpack that a little bit, it would be our lives are both a response to and a reflection of the resurrection of Christ. Our lives are a response to and a reflection of the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Our lives are about the resurrected Jesus. And for Paul, this wasn't like an optional add-on feature in the Christian life for just like the the super Christians. This was how, how Paul lived, how other Uh, believers in in the New Testament, in the first church, like this was not um, like just for the the super apostles. Uh, Either the the resurrection is the basis of your life or it's not. Like it's it's hard to kind of be in in between that. And and I'm asking myself that question today. Like as we've been going through 1 Corinthians 15, like it's it's been like a mirror in my own life where I'm having to um, think about my priorities and, and and think about, like, is the resurrected life of Christ the basis for my life? Is the resurrected life of Christ the basis for my life? Um, last week, I, I asked, how is your life currently a sign of the resurrection of Jesus? Like, what is it? Is, is your life, does it point to the resurrection of Jesus? And in the city of Corinth, this was an intense question. Very intense. Uh, but do you know where else this is an intense question? Every, everywhere. Like this, this is not a, a surface level, let's take 30 seconds, let's think about it. But this is a, a lifelong journey of, of reflecting on, is the resurrected life the basis of, of my life? And, and there's people in Corinth that were like, hey, Paul, we're, we're with you on Jesus coming and walking among us, God being with us. Like we, we can buy into that. I mean, that's, that's pretty big, but we can buy into that. And we like that Jesus died for our sins, that's good. We, we like that. We want our sins to be forgiven. But now you're, you're talking about this guy rising in the middle of history and that our lives are supposed to be transformed in, into his life. Like, come on, Paul. And Paul is pushing back all throughout this letter. He's like, no, this, this is the essence. It is everything. Uh, it is the reason I, I do everything I do. And so our lives are supposed to be a response to and a reflection of the life of Christ. And, and Paul makes that point, this, uh, this point in, in two ways in this passage. He tells them that, that first, that the resurrection is the basis for the life that is. The resurrection is the basis for the life that is. What I mean is like our life now, the resurrection is the basis for that. Like um, all of our, our labor, everything we do in this world, all the community that we have, all the ethics that we choose, the decisions that we make, they are to be about and shaped and formed by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the verses we read, Paul, he shares about his life um, and he wants them to understand what his life looks like. And he's, he's no longer talking just theology, theory in, the, in these verses we just read. Because remember, Paul, when Paul came to, to Jesus, his life did not get easier. His life got harder. And, and he uh, was constantly on the move. He was constantly on the run. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. Um, and, and he's saying, like, why? Why am I doing all this? Like, why? Why would I do that? If, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then I might as well go out and get hammered. Like that's, that's what he's saying. Let's, let's have a party because nothing really matters. Uh, verse 30 says, and for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Paul says, I, I am 
literally dying every day. I am I'm suffering. Why do, you, why do you think I do that? What do I have to gain? If, if the dead are, are not raised, if all we have is a few short years on earth, like the, let's live it up. In other words, the, Paul was saying that the resurrected life of Christ was forming his life in the present. The, the look to the future and his own resurrection was forming how he, he made choices in, in the present. And um, an argument that I hear sometimes against Christianity, against Christians, is that, um, you know, Christians, all they're concerned about is the soul and eternity and not so much about what's happening in the present world. Not so, um, no concern for the environment, maybe, or, or no concern for injustice or, or feeding, feeding the, the hungry. And my, my quick response, my initial response is, yeah, that's probably true for some. For some Christians who have not yet discovered that we are to reflect the resurrection in this life. Like, and, and so some, some Christians unfortunately do live that way. But my next response is that the resurrection of Jesus actually gives us more reason than we would otherwise have to care about how we live and about the world around us. Why? Because what God has done in Jesus and through his resurrection is what he intends to do to all of creation. And he intends to bring us into that. And so somehow what we're doing now is part of the new creation. It is, um, which it can be difficult to wrap your minds around, like the things we're doing now somehow are going to translate into to God's new kingdom. But, but it's always been that those Christians, those followers of Jesus who have a robust belief in the resurrection as, as part of God's new creation will give more value, not less, to what's happening in the world around us. Verse 32 says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. This was the original hashtag YOLO, like this, this was it. Like he only, if the dead are not raised, we might as well, I mean, get as much pleasure out of life as we can. Avoid pain at all costs. Min- minimize pain, maximize happiness. That's what Paul is, is saying in these verses. If Christ isn't raised, then what, what does it matter? Like we, we could just go and join uh, the late Hugh Hefner. Like it could, because it doesn't, just like get it in while you can. And so Paul understands that all of his life, all of his labor, all of his struggle, all of his tiredness finds its meaning in the resurrection of Jesus. All of his life finds its meaning in the resurrection of Jesus. And that is the basis for Paul's life. And, and he tries, what he wants them to see is that it should be the basis for their life as well. Verse 33, he says, do not be misled. Other translations say deceived, which I think is, I like that better. It's a bit harsher. He says, bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. Again, another translation says, wake up from your drunken stupor and stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Now, I feel like if Paul were preaching today, you you wouldn't want to be on the front row because this dude is just calling out people uh, left and right. He's wake up from your stupor that you're living in your life right now in this world is supposed to be a response to and a reflection of the resurrection of Jesus in everything we do. And the reason why we do what we do, it should be shaped by the resurrection. As, and he's saying, as a Christian, if you're not doing that, if you're, if you're not letting the resurrection inform your life now, you are walking contradiction and it's shameful. Now, these are Paul's words. 
not mine, because they are, they are tough words uh, to digest. And, but I hope you're beginning to understand how important the, the resurrection is to our faith, even in the life that is, our, our life now. But not only that, the resurrection is essential for the basis of the life that is to come. So the, the resurrection is, is, uh, is the basis for the life that is, but it's also the basis for the life that is to come. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The life that Jesus has given us now, it's just the beginning. It's just the the foretaste. It's just the down payment of the life that is to come. And uh, just as Jesus was raised to an incorruptible life, so will you be. Like that is, that's good. That is good news. And in Jesus, all things will be made new. And if, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then when you die, that's curtains. That's it. There's nothing else, just darkness. And if you were to uh, talk to most people, whether they're, they're Christians or not, and ask them, you know, do you believe in an afterlife? Most people have some type of vague, yeah, I think so, or souls will go on, or, or maybe it's a form of reincarnation. But most people don't uh, think that, when you die, that's it. Uh, I mean, there are, there are some. But uh, Paul is saying, if, if Jesus has not been raised, then, then death wins in the end. If there's no resurrection. Go, then go ahead and live as uh, hedonistically as, as possible. And, he, and Paul says in verse 35, but someone will ask, and Paul is being utterly passive aggressive at this point. Some will say, it's like he's pointing, uh, it's like, I'm not going to name names, but he's like pointing at the same time. Um, Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And again, he's writing to the church, not to the local newspaper. Um, So this is an internal rebuke. How foolish, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. And so the question seems to be, like, hey, Paul, we know what happens when you die. Um, your, your body decays, like, you disintegrate, you go back into the earth, and how, like, what, how are we going to be raised, and um, how can a body come back to life after the decay of death? Isn't, and in their mind, death was final, but Paul is, says, no, death is not final, and they're, there was a lot of mystery around like what our, our body will be like in the resurrection. Uh, but Paul is not worried ab- about death. Because for Paul and those who trust in Christ, death is not final. In fact, in the resurrection of Jesus, death has been transformed and now provides access to life. Death has been transformed. And, and just as Jesus was crucified and it led to his resurrection, our death leads to our resurrection. It is through death that we will find life. It's like a seed that's been, been planted in the ground that when it comes up, it, it flowers into something beautiful. And, and that's not to say that death is no longer an enemy. Death is still an enemy. And as believers, we should push back against death in all its forms, wherever we find it at work. We are to bring the kingdom of the life of God. But while death is still an enemy, we don't have to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid of death because death does not have the final say. 
for those who are in Christ. Death is real, but it's not final. Death is real, but it's not final. And this is uh, beautifully depicted in one of the, the Chronicles of Narnia, a series of books written by C.S. Lewis. And in one of the books, um, it tells the story of children. Well, in the, in the entire series, of uh, there's children from our world. They get into this other world called Narnia. And in that world, there is a, a lion, and it's a, a talking lion. There's talking animals in, in that world. But this lion is a Christ figure. And he's the son of the emperor over the sea. And, and through the, the books, the lion gives his, his life for Narnia. He comes back, comes back to life. Um, but in one of the books, there's a king in Narnia. It's not, it's not the lion, uh, but another king who is, is reigning. Uh, he was, he's a good king. But his son has gone missing. and has been missing for many years. And as the king gets older, he gets more and more desperate so that um, as he's coming to the end of his life, he takes a voyage in out into the sea to look for a son, to look in the faraway islands and places where he hasn't looked before. Well, while the father is, is gone, while the king is gone, uh, some other people go, and, uh, or some children go, and they are able to find the prince, and they bring the prince home. And, and the book ends with the, the prince is at home in Narnia, and the father's ship is coming, is coming back, uh, and there's, uh, there's trumpets are playing, the, there's music going, and, and everybody is, is just on the edge of their seat, this long-awaited reunion between father and son, king and, and the next king. And so there's this expectation there, and the ship comes into the harbor, and, and everything is, is going fine, but then, but then the king doesn't come down, and there becomes an uneasiness in, in the crowd, um, and finally, there's four knights who carry, they're carrying something, and then everybody realizes they're carrying the king on his bed, and he's, he's pale, and he's still. And I just want to read just a, a page or two uh, from the book. This is our, our version. It's been read a few times. Uh, the kids enjoy it. Um, so they've just brought the king off, off of the ship. And they set him down. The prince knelt beside him and embraced him. They could see King Caspian raising his hand to bless his son, and everyone cheered, but it was a half-hearted cheer, for they all felt that something was going wrong. Then suddenly the king's head fell back upon his pillows. The musicians stopped, and there was a dead silence. The prince, kneeling by the king's bed, laid down his head upon it and wept. There were whisperings going to and fro. Then Jill, Jill was one of the, the children from, from our world who was, had gone to that world, then Jill noticed that all who wore hats, bonnets, helmets, or hoods were taking them off. She said, I wish I was at home. Now Eustace nodded. Eustace was the boy that was with her, saying nothing and bit his lip. I have come, said a deep voice behind them. They turned and saw the lion himself, so bright and real and strong that everything else began at once to look pale and shadowy compared to him. And in less time than it takes to breathe, Jill forgot about the dead king of Narnia. Please, Aslan, said Jill. May we go home? Yes, I have come to bring you home, said Aslan. Then he opened his mouth and blew. Then they saw that they were once more on the mountain of Aslan. High up above and beyond the end of the world in which Narnia lies. But the strange thing was that the funeral music for King Caspian still went on. But no one could tell where it came from. 
They were walking beside the stream and the lion went before them and he became so beautiful and the music so despairing that Jill did not know which of them it was that filled her eyes with tears. Then Aslan stopped and the children looked into the stream and there on the golden gravel of the bed of the stream lay King Caspian, dead, with the water flowing over him like liquid glass, his long white beard swayed like water weed and all three stood and wept. Even the lion wept, great lion tears, each more tear precious than the earth would be if it was a single solid diamond. And Jill noticed that Eustace looked neither like a child crying nor like a boy crying and and wanting to hide it, but like a grown-up crying. At least that's the nearest she could get to it. But really, as she said, people don't seem to have any particular ages on that mountain. Son of Adam, said Aslan, go into that thicket and pluck the thorn that you will find there and bring it to me. Eustace obeyed. There was a thorn a foot long and sharper, uh, sharp as a rapier. Drive it into my paw, son of Adam, said Aslan, holding up his right forepaw and spreading out the great pad toward Eustace. Must I, said Eustace. Yes, said Aslan. Then Eustace set his teeth and drove the thorn into the lion's pad and there came out a great drop of blood, redder than all the redness that you have ever seen or imagined. And it splashed into the stream over the dead body of the king. At that moment, the doleful music stopped. And the dead king began to be changed. His white beard turned to gray and from gray to yellow and got shorter and vanished altogether. And his sunken cheeks grew round and fresh and the wrinkles were smooth and his eyes opened and his eyes and lips both laughed. And he suddenly leaped up and stood before them, a very young man or boy. But you couldn't say which because people don't have a particular age in Aslan's country. And he rushed to Aslan, flung his arms as far as they would go around his huge neck. And he gave Aslan the strong kisses of a king. And Aslan gave him the wild kisses of a lion. At the last, Caspian turned to the others. He gave a great laugh of astonished joy. Why, Eustace, he said, Eustace, so you did reach the end of the world after all. Eustace made a step toward him with both hands out, but then drew back with a startled expression. Look here, I say, he stammered. "It's, It's all very well, but aren't you... I mean, didn't you? Oh, don't be such an ass, said Caspian. But Eustace, said Eustace, looking at Aslan, hasn't he uh, died? Yes, said the lion in a very quiet voice, almost as if he were laughing. He has died. Most people have, you know, even I have. There are very few who haven't. Oh, said Caspian, I see what's bothering you. You think I'm a ghost or some nonsense, but don't you see? I would be if I appeared in Narnia now because I don't belong there anymore. But one can't be a ghost in one's own country. I might be a ghost if I got into your world. I don't know, but I suppose it isn't yours uh, either. Now you're here. A great hope rose in the children's heart. But Aslan shook his shaggy head. No, my dears, when we meet here again, you will have come to stay, but not now. You must go back to your own world for a while. Sir, said Caspian, I've always wanted to have just a glimpse of their world is it wrong? Aslan said, you cannot want wrong things anymore now that you have died, my son. Death is still an enemy, but you don't have to be afraid of death. The, The resurrection is the basis for our life now, but it's also the basis for our life that is to come. And I mentioned earlier about being asked very direct questions. And, and how it can be tough and how it can be stressful. Um, so I'm going to put you in a stressful moment, stressful situation as we conclude here. What is your life about? What is 
the basis of your life. Like, what are, you, what are you basing your life on? What are you basing the choices that you make, the suffering that you endure, the aspirations that you have? What is your life about? Um, and, and maybe you haven't considered that question, or maybe you, you don't like where that answer is taking you at the moment. If, if the basis of your life is not the resurrection of Jesus, uh, let me encourage you to take a moment and to pray Uh, to seek God and to say, Jesus, would you fill me with your life? Would you fill me with your resurrection life? I want to follow you. And if you have not done that before, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, today you can do that. And it will change everything about you. It will change your life. And if you want to follow Jesus, we'd love to, uh, to know and to walk uh, this journey alongside you, there'll be a place where you can fill it out in, in the uh, a contact form uh, there in the, in the comments. But for, for others, if, if Jesus, if you do follow Jesus and you know everything that I've said today and this is just a reminder for you, then I just want to encourage you. Um, Paul says, I... He's like, I want you to embrace the resurrection of Christ. And I know some of us are struggling. Uh, You might be struggling in your mind, your body, your work, your finances. But keep going. But keep, keep going. But you might say, why, Matthew? What's even the point? Because in the end, we know that we have the victory in Christ and that we triumph. And if you're anchored in Jesus, not one, of, one, not one part of your life can fail. Not one part of your life can fail ever. If we are in Christ, if we are, if he is the basis for our life. And so give yourself to Jesus hour by hour, moment by moment, day by day, week by week.